0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Monday night. This is The Drop Zone. Tony Finau has won the Northern Trust. His name is Dylan DeChair. My name is Sean Zach. This is The Drop Zone podcast. Dylan, how are you doing?
1: I'm, I'm great. I think we should have golf tournaments finish every Monday because that was a lot of fun. John Rahm looked like he had a stranglehold on this thing. I, I was kind of, you know, talking to you as the tournament was going on. I said... You know, Rahm is so good; he can just suck the air out of a golf tournament. But it's not that easy, Sean. It's not that easy. Nobody holds fifty-four hole leads anymore. You can't do it. The only person we know no isn't going is. to win is the guy in the lead. So I'm doing great. I had a great I had a great Monday work day watching the golf, and um, I'm a little sleepy. We were adventuring around New England last week. So just got in late last night back to Seattle.
0: Yeah, the good thing for you is that you still have most of the night ahead of you. You're on West Coast time. I don't really love Mm -hmm. when Monday golf tournaments go into playoffs after the final grouping takes over five hours to play the round. That starts to stink when uh, Mm -hmm. East Coast markets start going to the local news and going away from the PGA tour golf. So no, this thing is not perfect as, as perfect as it
1: seemed to be for you when it was not as perfect. You know, who I think was on board with, with not wanting to play any more playoff holes, Cameron Smith, Cameron Smith, (laughs) he opted out very quickly. (laughs) So I don't know. He must've just felt the vibe from the East coast volunteers there. it's like, all right, let's get on with it. Yeah. That was, Um, that was
0: as visceral uh, of a reaction as I've had to a T shot I guess since Louis Oosthuizen hit his first tee shot in the playoff ironically against Cameron Smith at the Zurich Classic earlier this year.
1: Hang on we're still we're burying the headline here because I do want to just get to it initially like hell yeah Tony Finau he did it man he 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 did it he hadn't won a golf tournament he won the Puerto Rico Open until now Tony Finau's Meaningful Resume was the same as our pal Martin Trainer. (laughs) They each had one PGA Tour victory, and it came at the Puerto Rico Open. had he's had a billion second-place finishes. He has, you know, kind of gamely plugged along. He has just kept putting himself in the position to get hurt again, and he put himself there again today. And finally, something good happened to him, and mostly he made good stuff happen. So I just wanted to get that out there first. Credit to our man, Big Tones.
0: Okay. Uh, sure. Yeah. All credit to Tony. Sure. All credit to Tony. He shot a 65 today. He shot a 30. He
1: shot the best round in the tournament. He shot a th- Best round of the, f- sorry, no, best no, round no. in the tournament today. Yes, Best round yes. in the field on Monday. You're going to defend.
0: 65. You're going to defend Tony. That's okay. You've spent a little time with Tony. I've actually really never spent time with him. 30 on the back nine. That's that's quite good. That's really good. He may have had the playoff nerves kind of wiped away when Cam Smith pumped at OB. So it's really good. He hit two drives on 18 that were both amazing. 18 mm-hmm. is not an easy driving hole. He went full full diesel carry at 290. The, the ball is landing wherever it hits and staying there, but Fino hit like two really good tee shots and kind of made it easy for himself. He made a six foot putt for par in regulation that he really needed to make. Yeah, he went out and he he went out and won it, but he also went out and had it given it, given to him in the playoff. So
1: I don't. Th- I just don't think that I th- I think you're not giving enough credit to the fact that he just flagged it several holes in a row hit it in there tight on 12 hit a ridiculous couple shots on 13 for eagle made a bomb on 14 for birdie and then took care of things with up and downs on 16 and 18 like this was this was a really strong showing down the stretch to chase down john rom is uh is no small feat i don't know i i just felt like a real sense of relief and excitement for Finao, because there were still so many places this thing could have gone off the tracks. Yes. With his tee shot on 15, which, you know, luckily found a different fairway. And with his his up and down on 18. He was green side, not a crazy hard bunker shot. But God, if I if my legacy was on the line, if I knew it was on the line, if I knew everyone was going to be talking about this tournament based off whether I made a five, six foot putt on eighteen. I would not want that pressure. That's that's serious business. I think
0: Fino's had a weird year. You know, he dropped his caddy earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. He's gone through... He was playing probably the best golf of his life in January and February. Like, he was looking like he was going to do some really special things. And he completely came out and addressed how his second place and his less clutch finishes were starting to eat at him and how it was bothering him. Mm-hmm. And, like, we have... We have no choice but to appreciate that kind of honesty. Uh, we, we don't often get it on the PGA Tour. And, you know, it, it tends to, like, trickle out. Like, Finau could have told us about it many times, um, and it kind of just trickled out in, like, a Tuesday-Wednesday press conference. But you could tell that this guy was bothered by how he was faring in clutch moments and what Mark Brody or Justin Ray or Dedagolf would describe as clutch moments, like within five shots of the lead on the back nine on Sunday, this was really good in part because the last time he was really in the hunt, he was at Riviera and he had Max Homa up mm-hmm. against a tree. And if you had yeah. to be a betting man in that moment, you would have never in your life bet on Max Homa. And somehow Tony Finau still did not win in part because of Max Homo, Mm -hmm. but also in part because of Tony Finau. And so, yes, it was really good to see him get it done. Of course, when you wake up tomorrow, you have to feel differently about who you think Tony Finau is as a golfer, and especially as the Ryder Cup is approaching. You have to think differently about his chances to be on that team at Whistling Straits. I don't think he's going to be off that team at this point.
1: He's on the team. Yeah, he's on the team.
0: So this this is the biggest day in Tony Finau's career. I am hesitant to do what Colt Nost did. Colt Nost, uh, you know, co-worker of ours. He, he tweeted out, let the floodgates open for Tony Finau. That six-foot par putt on 18 might be the most important shot of his career when it's all said and done. Colt Nost kind of going out and saying, look, he's going to do big things after this now. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily going to go there that far he was a great golfer before this moment he could become a better golfer this is just one victory but it's an important one it's
1: a big win i don't know i mean colt's probably right that six foot pup probably is the most important shot of his career to date. i mean you know it's always tr- that's always kind of easy to say yeah. like you can say whenever when when an nba team that has never made it that far in the I guess when a when a March Madness team who's never made it that far before, you can always say, oh, this is the biggest win in program history, stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, the winning putt, by definition, is the most important shot of his career. But you could also say the iron in on 13 was the most important shot because that brought him back into the tournament. So yeah, biggest moment of his career by far. You are right that it comes at a little bit of a funny moment in his year because he was playing like one of the best golfers in the world at the beginning of 2021. He finished 4th at the American Express, 2nd at the Farmers, went to Saudi Arabia, finished 2nd there and then came back to the Genesis, finished 2nd there. So it seemed like he was just going to keep getting in the mix. Like when he's in that in that form, feels like he's going to be on the leaderboard every single week. But the last, you know, he doesn't have a finish better than T15 in his last seven starts coming to this week he's missed a few cuts which he hadn't been doing much of so that's golf i mean that's that's how it goes but it is interesting that this was not necessarily the tony finau in prime form coming into this week
0: yeah i know that like pro golfers genuinely aren't afraid of other pro golfers i don't think now that tiger woods and his prime have passed there isn't like necessarily a fear of other players um Mm-hmm. but if Tony Finau plays like this on that Ryder Cup team, you think Paul Casey wants a piece of that? I don't think so. <laughs> like, Finau playing like this, making birdies all over the place, becomes a, quite the Ryder Cup asset, especially in best ball format. The guy can... I mean, the guy was all over the place. He was horrible off the tee today, but he's making birdies from other fairways. Like, he he... He plays like this, and suddenly he could be one of your three best players for the the Americans at Whistling Straits.
1: Yeah, I think you love to see the scrambling. You love to see uh, him getting put under the gun a little bit. I think, look, if I, if I were to knock this in any way, it would just be that the fans weren't there. Mm. You know, <laughs> kind of a strange thing to be on a, a quiet Monday with no fans in attendance. If you're a if you're a Finau truther. That's probably where you'd go first, right? Like that is a different experience. Winning, wow! With fans in attendance. Are you
0: hijacking one I'm of my not favorite saying that, takes? But
1: look, I'm absolutely not saying that. I'm just saying if someone were to say that, it would be interesting. <laughs>
0: you want me to say it?
1: What do you think of that? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. It's I, I almost forgot about it that there were no fans out there. Gosh, what a weird setting. Yeah, saying. yeah.
1: It, I mean, it felt. It felt like a throwback to you know the the COVID era golf that we got used to last year yeah um
0: if, if Tony Fino is hitting from another fairway when there are fans out there does it does it go as smoothly as it did today Because I'll tell you one thing, Cam Smith played pretty perfect golf down the stretch. he was flagging it and doing it from the fairway. Mm-hmm. That dude didn't matter if there were fans he was hitting shots all over the flag, so
1: what did you think of watching John Rahm play golf today?
0: <laughs> I started to think this is the best player in the world by far. It might not be close. This is going to mm-hmm. be the best player at the Ryder Cup. It doesn't matter who's playing against him, whether it's DJ, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth. Rahm's going to be the favorite in every single Ryder Cup match that he plays in. That probably, mm-hmm. probably hasn't changed. But I just looked back at, at what John Rahm has done in the last year. If you rewind to the Northern Trust last year, he has 15 top 10s and that comes with an asterisk because 16 would have been the Memorial tournament. And uh, mm-hmm. he has two wins, which would have be another asterisk for a third, which was the Memorial tournament. Um he he's he's doing what like Jason Day did and Jordan Spieth did in 2015. And he's kind of having the same type of year that Dustin Johnson had in, uh, I can't remember if it was 2016 or 17 or 18, you know, the year that DJ just won. Yeah,
1: 2018, I think.
0: Bananas. Yep. And so I think John Rahm is your player of the year. I think he has to be. But somehow he didn't win today. Like it makes no sense that that guy gave up a multiple shot lead on the back nine. He was in absolute cruise control, throwing everything to 12 feet and in mm-hmm. um but when he missed those back-to-back like eight foot putts early on in the back nine uh all of a sudden i was like mm-hmm. wait it's not like he has a four shot lead <laughs> anything can happen on this course that's super wet and everyone's going low at yeah I, I i was shocked that it played out that way
1: i was too and here's the thing that i worry about with john Rahm is we're watching him in his prime right now john Rahm is in the absolute peak of his career right now he is playing the best golf of his life i mean you know look yes there's every possibility he's just going to keep playing golf at this level but you don't often see it and i think when you talk about golfers in the context of history you talk about guys that have peaks of a few years and it just feels like we are we are watching him play golf at such a high level that for his sake you want him to be able to take full advantage of that he did at the U.S. Open. He did at the Memorial, you know, unfortunately, for just three rounds. You feel for the guy that he didn't get to go contend for an Olympic gold. Um, but it was it was definitely – I mean, it was a testament to how well Tony Finau played down the stretch, but it was also just a little bit of a curious finish. He, yeah. he said he hit every shot correctly on 15. Um, you know, he – found the fairway bunker that's a it's a little bit unlucky he flagged his approach shot almost uh saved a par 16 he kind of semi drop kicked a wedge or semi bladed a wedge from greenside that was a little bit uncharacteristic and then 18 you know he made another bogey but i think you know you probably can't put too much stock in that um it's just was it just was a little bit strange and it just was another reminder that whenever we see something and it looks a little bit too easy you know whenever we're prisoners of the moment whenever we're thinking halfway through the round that wow this guy is just far and away the greatest golfer in the world he's invincible he you know he's playing par fives like par fours sometimes it's just a little bit too convenient and this was definitely the case here yeah
0: but if he i mean if he goes out and finishes today We are crowning him player of the year. We are saying this is Mm -hmm. some Tiger-esque golf. Mm -hmm. So that kind of shows you how how good he has been, but how razor sharp the edge of good and great can can really be. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the Olympics because that's one thing I was thinking this afternoon too. Like all due respect to Xander and Rory Sabatini and CT Pan. The
1: asterisk Olympics? No, no,
0: no, no, no. Of course not. But I said, all due respect to those guys and the people who did win medals. Mm-hmm. It is hard, or it was really hard, to watch John Rahm play any golf this entire summer and not think, "Well, that dude probably would have gotten in medal contention. He probably would have, maybe joined the the seven man playoff for third, or given Rory Sabatini, a, or maybe maybe made it sixteen under, and then there is no seven man playoff for third, like." It's, it was just really hard to look at that golf course, see how it was played, and not think, okay, well, John Rom would have torn this place apart.
1: He has racked up top tens. He's he has just racked him up. He's playing a little bit like Rory played. Uh, what was it in 2019? I guess. Yes. Um, where he just is almost a lock for the top ten every week. He doesn't necessarily put the hammer down. But, God, I mean, it's hard when guys are playing the last seven holes and five under against you. Yeah. Um, you really have no margin for error. It, it's hard to go run and hide when guys are coming to chase you down. So, look, I think Rom will be fine. I Just while he's playing this level of golf where he's truly, like, two or three shots better than the field, like, every time he tees it up, <laughs> he should be getting some wins. Doesn't
0: it? Does- We've talked about it, but doesn't it uh, impress you that he has kind of gone through this ridiculously turbulent year? Um, Turbulent in both good ways and bad ways, but like, he's gone through a lot of stuff this year. He's had his first child. He has played every major impeccably well. He had multiple tournaments that he had to withdraw from because of a positive COVID test. And he continues to come back here and be one of the three best players in a 125 man field. And next week when there are 70 people in the field, you can almost be sure he'll be one of the top eight players. (laughs) And then, Mm -hmm. and then at the tour championship, if he's not in the top five, you'll probably be shocked.
1: It feels like he's simplified things. I know people talk about perspective um, with him being a dad. I mean, people usually talk about it kind of cynically, but I think that he has found some sort of formula where, look, I mean, you, you just wrote a story about him for the cover of golf magazine. It feels to me from reading about him, from talking to him and from just seeing the way he goes about things, he really wants to be a good golfer. You don't get that from everyone, but Rom definitely wants to be, and he doesn't care about all the trappings of pro golf or celebrity status. Um, He just wants to be really good at this. He wants to be friends with his small circle of friends and he definitely wants to be a good family man too. So I don't know about the perspective thing about being a dad, but it definitely feels like whatever formula he has to simplify his training schedule, his playing schedule it's working, yeah. Uh, it just you know hasn't gotten him across the line as as much as we might have expected until now. Well,
0: and I think we found ourselves at this point with him, like you mentioned, he's probably playing the best golf of his life. And at some point in the near or distant future, we'll back we'll look back on this 2021 year and be like, well, that was John Rom's peak, or that was one of his peaks. Um, what will his valley look like? And and you know. That is different for every player. For Jordan Spieth, it was bottoming out at like 80th in the world ranking. But for Rory McIlroy, a valley might be where he is right now. Uh, And that looks like, you know, 15th in the world ranking. And for a long time, Sergio Garcia. 16th now. Okay, well, for a long time.
1: Outside the top 15 for the first time since 2009.
0: So, yeah, you get my point. Sergio Garcia was in the top 20 for like... Fifteen years, it felt like. Um, we don't have to to guess what John Rahm's value will look like, but maybe maybe that's our our call to the listeners right now is to like, hey, you need to appreciate this, and like when you cheer against him at Whistling Straits, maybe also take note of how damn good he is because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. he might not, he might never play this good. I want him to continue to rise, but um, you never know. I like this, you never know when it'll drop off. This
1: one. This one bogey has turned into a, an obituary for John Rom, which I absolutely love. Um, I, I, Yeah, my main point in bringing that up was similar to, to when we were talking about Colin Morikawa's open victory a few weeks ago, which was just, you know, appreciate this golf for what it is right now. Because, you know, again, Jordan Spieth, when he won his last major championship, I think was 23. I think Rory, when he won his most recent major championship, was 24. Huh. It's hard to do. Guys peak at different times. Dustin Johnson peaked later. Um, Brooks Kepka peaked later. But John Rahm, you know, is seems like he's peaking right now. He's maybe going to go win the FedEx Cup. So, yeah. look, I'm not worried about him, but it's time.
0: What do we do with Cameron Smith and his performance today?
1: What do we do with Cameron Smith? I
0: mean, it was... Friggin' impressive. Remember what he did on the, on the fifth hole?
1: My goodness. He had just effectively played his way into the tournament. I mean, he was, he was holding the solo lead at that point, right? After he,
0: shooting 60.
1: He shoots 60 on Saturday, takes Sunday off. Not sure what he was up to. Monday comes out birdies number two. He's the solo leader through four holes. Number five, he hits just a horrific tee shot. So this was the opening. He's played this tee as the opening tee under far more nerve wracking circumstances. See on that team, 2017 president's cup team. Uh, Maybe he was too young. Who knows? <laughs> In my mind, he was on that team. Anyway, they were playing that fifth hole as the first hole at that point. It's a scary tee shot. There's death to the right. There's water to the left. And Cam Smith just hit a dead pull straight into the water. Um, his next tee shot stayed in play down the right side, and then his approach was horrible, <laughs> way long and left. Hit a tree, long and left. Should have gone in the water also, but somehow miraculously stayed on the bank, just above this rock wall. And uh, it's it up and down. Then he got up and down from there. Like his putt fell, his putt stopped moving, and then it fell in the side of the cup. So that was a heck of a six.
0: Yes, and basically, when you're watching John Rom do what he did, okay, Cam Smith, you're out of it, buddy. I'm sorry, but you can't catch him. Mm-hmm. You can't catch him. Like you, not when he's flagging it, like he was. But somehow Cam Smith caught him and then leaped past him on the seventeenth hole. Um, for your information, Cameron Smith was not on that Presidents Cup team. So
1: Mark Leishman was. So you know, <laughs> uh,
0: but similar. Six birdies today, not a single bogey after that fifth hole. It almost felt like, you know, John Rahm laying off the gas a little bit helped both him and Tony Finau because they were kind of, what they weren't into the lead and then wham, they were in the lead. Um, and I wonder if things just moved a little quickly because then suddenly Cam Smith's going up against a guy who hits it a lot further than him and suddenly Tony Finau's in the middle of the fairway and suddenly Cam Smith is far right of of the fairway. Far right, out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the miss was was as bad as it looked on TV with the pro tracer, way out into the right. That looks like one of your Sean Zach standardized big block T balls. That's what that looked yeah. like. Yeah, um, it's not good. So, but it's one stroke.
1: This, yeah, it sort of comes back to like you know the Buffalo Bills of the '90s or early LeBron. It's like, is it better to get to the playoff and then blow up? Is it better to get to the the Super Bowl? and then lose four years in a row is it you know is it better to put yourself in that position and and flame out oh, for with sure. what he called it a he called it a healy miss hit i think is what he said um, it's still better to be there right and, and i think that you can learn something from losing he doesn't seem like a guy that'll necessarily take that shot personally um, what did he, here's what cameron smith said he said just a terrible swing mate <laughs> just a miss hit, and in these conditions, you can't mishit the ball. Got a little bottomy and a little bit heely, and it just blew up in the wind and went a long ways right. So you have it. An honest assessment that, from Cameron Smith. That
0: checks out. Uh, he's going to move up the world ranking. I'm not sure what he is right now, but Cameron Smith, I feel like he has ascended at some point in this year to a different just a different level different tier yeah i think he's so he's number
1: 23 in the world after this performance so he's
0: 23rd now i feel like he's probably put in a top 20 uh like he's probably a top 20 player in the world is he a top 10 player no but you know what's his what's his peak going to look like is he, is he starting to like change in your mind is is he taking the baton from adam scott and jason day i'm the new Australian representation on the PGA tour. It feels like he continues to knock on the door in a way that not everyone really re- expected him to. Um, he doesn't really seem like he's going away.
1: He's unquestionably the best Aussie golfer right now. And that's a, that's a traditionally important crown in the golf world. I would say For sure. Adam Scott has been really a strange player since coming back from quarantine I mean, I know this is, we're talking about Cameron Smith, not Adam Scott, but my goodness, do you remember Adam Scott was number six in the world as recently as early 2020?
0: Yeah, because we saw Uh, him. We saw he won in Australia and then he came back and won in his first tournament at Riviera and then the pandemic
1: hit. So look, Cameron Smith has, has stepped up. He's stepped in. He's really good. I mean he's fun. God he looks good. The mullet looks just so good.
0: Does that need to go soon?
1: I don't know. I think the only reason it would go is if it is is just sort of uh so you don't give the people exactly what they want, so you yes. don't become a caricature of yourself. Them I think guessing. it could be a great bit to kind of, you know, get rid of it and then bring it back. Like Ricky, if maybe if Ricky didn't have the mustache all the time, it would be more fun when when he really broke it out for real. You should, you should look up what
0: Cameron Smith used to look like. What I love is that he's had the like, mullet for so long that like the PGA Tour has done new headshots. And so now his headshot mm. on pgatour.com is mulleted Cam Smith. We don't really remember what he used to look like without the mullet. Look, they uh,
1: know an icon when they see one <laughs> and he is now, yeah, he, he looks good. He's great. I don't know. I, I've got nothing but good things to say about Cameron Smith because he has just put himself in that echelon where you don't really get shade. It's like, you. it's just a positive place to be. Honestly, it's probably the happiest place to be on the PGA tour is where you just stay a little bit below the level of people having any expectation for you. And then whenever you do something, they're pleasantly surprised. That's where, Cameron Smith is it's where Abraham answer is. It's sort of where Patrick Reed has spent some time, although people think about them in very different ways, but you know, you don't, you're not in the Rory Spieth category where when you play poorly, it's like, Oh, what's wrong with Cameron Smith? What's wrong with Rory McIlroy? No, you just fly under the radar. You miss a cut, you finish 30th. So be it, but he's good enough where now he's going to get that kind of second tier star attention and i think he needs to win to really yeah deserve it sure sure but he's good yeah can we talk just last thing just about the bubble the bubble boys i'm intrigued by the wyndham championship bubble scene i don't get quite as excited about it this week but it's kind of vaguely intriguing and it's intriguing that a few very good golfers are like yeah. not in this top 70. They're not going to the BMW. Matt Fitzpatrick is somehow feels like, you know, yesterday he was a top 15 player in the world. Today he's not even going to the next round of the playoffs. Same with Tyrrell Hatton, almost the exact same description in my mind. Anyway, I was interested by that.
0: Talk about bubble boys, your boy Rory McIlroy is kind of on the bubble for the Tour Championship.
1: He is. I think he's going to play well at the BMW championship and I think he'll be in.
0: All right. That's enough men's golf. Can we move on to the women's golf?
1: I think that we definitely should. And I'm wondering if you're going to say the word shank during this, uh, on my <laughs> flight yesterday, I was watching, I, I wanted a nice background movie. So I put on Harry Potter. They were talking about, you know, saying the word Lord Voldemort. Mm. I was, I was thinking about the women's open and, You know, when you're talking to someone that hits a devastating shank late in a tournament, can you ask them about shanking it late in the tournament?
0: Why are we so afraid of that term?
1: I think because people don't like to be embarrassed and (laughs) there is not much more embarrassing in golf than than trying to hit it forward and hitting it sideways. But man, that was a hard golf shot. Sure. It That's really That's my only it, counter.
0: That you know, it really was. It was not a middle of the fairway shank. It wasn't a bottom of the bunker shank. It wasn't, you know, a shank from even, you know, from a hairy lie in the rough. It, it mm. was a very difficult shot. Uh, but it was also if you think about it, the exact same place where someone hit another horrific shot, the 18th hole at Carnoustie where nerves bend your mind and they do weird things to you, and you rush through things or your, your hips move before your shoulders move in the golf swing a little bit quicker than normal, and that's all it takes. I don't think we should be as afraid, especially with pros, about about the shanks. I think people like me, maybe we don't talk about it as much because the shanks come around a little bit more often, and I feel like they can take me from top of my game to the bottom of my game mm-hmm. pretty darn quickly. We need to address this as what it was. If it wasn't a shank, she might go on and win the British Open. Instead, she didn't.
1: Anna Norkvist, though. How is that pronunciation?
0: Yeah, it's perfect.
1: Three majors. That's a giant, giant leap for her career. I don't know if the biggest jump is between 0 to 1. That's probably the biggest one that you're going to win. I think it's a bigger jump to go from 2 to 3 than it is from to go from 1 to 2. How about that? 2 is is, is solid, territory but three that's when you start to get into a little bit more rarefied air i feel like it it elevates her into just being you know one of the undisputed top players of this generation
0: yep there are 28 golfers female golfers who have won three majors that's a tiny number that is a tiny number.
1: Any, are there any other active players that have three majors exactly?
0: Uh, not active, no.
1: There's good audio here.
0: Yeah, Aria Jatanagarn has two. Um, Jin Young-Ko has two. Lydia Ko has two. Stacey Lewis has two. Brittany Linscombe has two. You know, a lot of people have two. Damn. Not a lot of people have three. Uh, let's see, who, who is active that has more three or more Yanni sang. She active? No. Uh, wow. Laura Davies technically is active. She's not winning majors anymore. Mm-hmm. N.B. Um, Park has seven. That's kind of how high you have to go to find someone who is active and has that amount of majors. Like, I think maybe I think maybe we have been not appreciating Anna Norkvist.
1: I think that that's right, and I think that. What we want to see, to some extent, is the good golfers playing the best golf in the biggest events. I think that it's the the uh, the interesting side subplot to this week's Women's Open is basically that there have been twelve different winners in the last twelve majors. I believe that's the number. Yep. And we were talking about this in Tour Confidential last night. You know, is that a good thing? Is parity good? And no, of course it's not. It's not a good thing for for there to be a different winner every single week. I mean, what's interesting is the dynamic that plays out in in men's and women's tennis, um, where the men's tennis, the slams have been dominated by a few people every single time out for years and years and years. The women's game has been a much more of a revolving door, and and the women's game I think was more dramatic to watch when there were a few players that you'd, you know, you were gearing up to see like the Serena Williams Maria Sharapova stretch. Um, So I think, yeah, there was a stretch in the men's in the PGA tour where it was, it was basically, you know, new major winners each time out. And we're still seeing some of that, but no, it means a lot more when someone, when you have a, a TV or a fan relationship with someone that is going to be in position. It means something that Tony Finau won today because we have this backstory with yeah. him. We know, you know, what he's kind of been questing for, and it meant something when Nelly Corda won her first sure. major championship, and it it means something when Anna Norquist wins her third major. But yeah, I mean, in general, it it would be great for the women that are playing the best golf to kind of keep playing the best golf. Um, so yeah, when relevant figures are in contention, that's a good thing for everyone.
0: My takeaway from the women's British open is less about who won it, who shanked it or Nellie Corda, even who kind of flirted with the lead on Thursday and then receded into the background. It's that the Solheim mm-hmm. cup is going to be really good. I was worried about the Solheim cup. I was genuinely worried about the Solheim Cup. We spend a lot of time on this podcast. Tell me what you were worried about. Well, I was just worried about the European team because I I don't know if I should be because they won the last Solheim Cup, but just looking at the names, it did not inspire a lot of confidence and they had, you know, they had six automatic qualifiers who were all pretty solid but then it was like well where are we going to go next and you start going beyond the top 50 in the the women's uh world rankings and it's yeah. like wait i don't think you really have to do this for the men's game so like is this team going to be as stout as europe has has brought forward in the past and i was kind of worried and then you know who finished like incredibly well in the Brit- the women's british open Narcus, number one. Georgia Hall, T2. Madeline Sagstrom, T2. You just start going down the list, and you have a lot of people. Leona McGuire is going to be a rookie on this Solheim Cup team. She played incredibly well. Go down a little bit further. Matilda Castron, she'll be on the team. Like the women's Solheim Cup team from Europe, they just look a lot more stout than they did maybe two months ago. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That is reflective of the men's Ryder Cup team from Europe as well. Both of these events are going to be really good. They're both going to happen inside of a, um, yeah, inside of a month of each other. One in Ohio, one in Wisconsin. It's match play season. It's team golf season. I don't even really care about the BMW Championship because this is much more fun golf, especially for our viewing concerns, right? Like this is, this is what we get all hyped up for all year long, and we like. We'll talk about who w- who won the Wyndham Championship, but really, we're worried about is Kevin Kisner a fit for the Ryder Cup team? We'll talk about you know Nelly Corda and the Corda sisters on their own, but really, we're wondering are they going to be paired up together for alternate shot? We've we've mm-hmm. reached that season; it's the best.
1: It is the best because you know, like we were talking about when we were talking about Kevin Kisner before the inevitable classic blow up this week it's a way to categorize where these golfers fall in the category of their respective sports. So to see, yeah, I, I mean, it's a top heavy American side for sure. I mean, it was really like the the four women that were at the Olympics, the Cordas, Danielle Kang, Lexi Thompson. I mean, those are the four iconic general public knows them golfers. You know, I, I find myself tempted to root for the, uh, the European men always because they're so they're so likable and they're underdogs and they seem to have so much more fun than the American men but you know I, I, as an American I definitely feel the pull of rooting for the U.S. squad on the in the Solheim Cup department
0: I'm probably gonna root for the European uh, Solheim Cup team they're basically two to one uh right now to win so Kind of like the men's European team was in Paris or uh, in Paris for the Ryder Cup. That's where you get your money, folks. Go out and bet on Team Europe. Go and back my girl Mel Reed. Her and Carlotta Saganda, tough squad. Don't get sucked into the Corda sisters. Don't get sucked into Lexi and Daniel Kang. Am I am I losing our American audience right now?
1: No, I think this is good. I think we should we could we could definitely break down the captain's picks in the bottom of the European Solheim cup team. But I think at that point we may start to may start to lose them.
0: We'll, we'll preview the Solheim cup next week when it's actually on our calendars. Um, In the meantime, let's just give a shout out to to some drop zone fans that I ran into this weekend. Uh, Namely Mm -hmm. just Steven Upton. Uh, We really appreciate you listening to the podcast every single week. It was good to finally meet a drop zone fan. In the flesh, um, for all the other Drop Zone fans out there...
1: Solid player in his own right, Stephen Upton. I mean, I think that, you know, maybe we should devote 30 seconds to just singing the praises of of the great state of Maine, where we uh, were kind of barnstorming this past week, played a little bit of good golf, ate some lobster rolls. Sean has declared his love of a warm rather than cold lobster roll, which I think is a fair decision. Um, And just... Look, Maine in August, it's the American dream.
0: Maine in August is delightful. Uh, if you like this podcast, if you like Dylan, if you like me, you're going to have to uh, to watch our content. It is upcoming. It is a nice little trip to Maine, uh, playing the best public golf that there is to have in Maine. Cape Arundel, Belgrade Lakes, the great Shebag Golf Course, and Booth Bay Harbor. Really good stuff. So until then, we'll see you next week.